Hey, uh, we're back in the book of Acts. Last weekend we had a, a special message for a, a special moment. But if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, we finished uh, a story in Acts chapter 12, which we'll be going back to, where Peter was locked up and he was arrested uh, by King Herod. And King Herod had evil intentions for Peter. He had killed James uh, and he was going to, intended to kill Peter. But God supernaturally rescued him. And Peter gets out of the prison. An angel of the Lord is sent and delivers him. He walks through the iron gates after the shackles had fallen from his wrists. And once he gets out the final gate that just opened supernaturally for him, he finally realizes this isn't a dream. This is actually happening. And it speaks to us about life. Sometimes in life we're in a place that we need to get out of. Other times we're outside of a place that we need to get into. No sooner does Peter leave prison, leave the jail, that he goes to church. For those of you that have loved ones or those of you that have been incarcerated or those of you that may be struggling in a certain area of your life, as soon as God lets you out, you need to find the local church. Find God's people. That's what Peter did. So this is where we pick up in our story in Acts chapter 12. And uh, we'll begin reading. I've entitled the message, How Hard Are You Knocking? So here we go. Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to, uh, to be quiet, to quiet down, and he told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. You don't blame him. <laughs> At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story and how it will apply to our hearts and our lives today. Lord, I am so thankful that your word will find a home in our hearts today. And it will produce fruit for eternity. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everyone said, amen. God has a definite sense of humor. If you ever doubted that God has this sense of humor, you simply need to reread this story. Because this story is filled with humor. It's filled with irony. Here's Peter. It was easier for him to get out of prison than it was to get into the, the, the prayer meeting. Uh, the prison doors opened wide automatically, but he had to knock and keep on knocking once he arrived at the church prayer meeting. Of course, in the, uh, the first century Christians, they weren't really allowed to use the temple even though they were Jews and they had become Messianic Jews because they had become followers of Jesus Christ. 
But they would gather in their homes. Mary uh, was a woman of means, uh, the mother of John Mark, who became a valuable team member to the ministry of Barnabas and Paul. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dispute about John Mark at one particular moment in the book of Acts. Uh, So Mary was well-to-do. She had a larger home, and there were many, the Bible says, many that were gathered there. And what were they doing? Well, they were praying. And what were they praying for? They were praying for Peter's release. So they're all gathered, and they're praying, oh, God, oh, God, we pray. Oh, don't let happen to Peter what happened to James. We need him. The church needs him. He's one of your pillars. And all of a sudden, and they're praying. They're like, someone's knocking at the door. Rhoda, go, go see who that is. Lord, please deliver Peter. Help him, Lord. Oh, we're praying. We're begging even, Lord. We're begging. All of a sudden, Rhoda comes back and says, it's Peter. And they're saying, oh, Lord, what? It's Peter. You're crazy. Oh, Lord. She's like, no, it's Peter. And they think, it can't be. Wait a minute. Weren't you just praying about this? It can't be. They said, then they got superstitious. You know, sometimes when Christians can't explain glorious supernatural events, God's blessings in their life, they get superstitious. They say, it has to be his angel. They had more faith to believe it was Peter's angel than it was Peter himself. Have you know those are not the kind of people you want praying for you when you're in your hour of need? <laughs> I'm just saying. Some churches know how to pray. And some churches like the early church, well, they need some help, serious help. What's this? It could be Peter's angel. First of all, if it was Peter's angel, would an angel need to knock? An angel just supernaturally delivered Peter out of prison. Chains, shackles, iron gates, guards. No, he wouldn't have to knock. Hello, right? You know, the the Jewish people had this superstition that your angel, your guardian angel, and and the Bible does allude to the fact that that there is an angel. Jesus said a child's angel always beholds the father's face. So there is this understanding that there is an angel or two or three or more that's assigned to believers. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us. So we believe in the ministry of angels, and angels appear throughout the entire Bible from Genesis through the book of Revelation. And they are God's special agents. So we believe in angels. We don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. And that's a whole other uh, topic. But angels are real. And um, so there's an angel assigned to us. And they had more faith to believe that it was Peter's angel because they believed, not according to Scripture, they just made this up in their heads that, that an angel, a guardian angel kind of looked like the person that they were guarding. But Rhoda didn't give up. Thank God for Rhoda. Now here's the humor also. She goes to, the, to answer the door, and she recognizes Peter's voice, but she's so overjoyed that it's actually him. She's a firm believer. She's a, an example of a firm believer. She runs back to tell everybody because she's so excited, but she, forgot, she forgets to open the door. So thank God Peter didn't give up on the first knock or the, or the second knock. Thank God that he kept on knocking. Now, Rhoda, we got we to gotta talk about her for just a moment. A moment. She's a special young lady. Uh, she's, a, she's a servant of the Lord. And she was willing to answer the door. You know, in the book of Psalms it said, I would rather be a doorkeeper at the house of God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. Thank God for churches that are filled with rotas, who have a, an, an, an attitude of service, who have a servant's heart, who would rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of God, you know, than to dwell in tents of wickedness. That's, that's rota. So rota becomes an example of what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus. Matter of fact, her name rota means rose. Now, who in here doesn't like a rose? What wife in here doesn't appreciate when her husband, for no 
intended reason or purpose at all, shows up at home with roses to give to his wife. And she says, what's the special occasion? There is no special occasion. It's just because I love you. Oh, come on, ladies. I'm trying to help you out. I'm giving your husband some ideas, right? So Rhoda's a rose. How you know we need more Rhodas in the house of God? Come on, somebody. We need more roses and less poison ivies. If you're an ivy, that's a good name. We bless. You're, you're, you're blessed. But rose, that's something different. Rhodas, that's something different. You know, a rose is beautiful. That should describe Christians. A rose lets off a fragrance that's beautiful. We have our, our roses from Heartline. Each one of those roses over there represent a life decision this year. Once again, can we thank God for the life decisions and the ministry of the Heartline House? So roses are, are, are so beautiful. And the Bible says that your life, as you and I worship Christ and follow Christ, that there is this, this aroma of Christ that emits from your life, a sweet aroma that speaks of God's glory and God's presence that's upon your life. Your life, And that is the description. That should be our description. But uh, here's some Bible study points that I want you to have. It's in the notes, or if you go to the app, you can get the notes. Uh, and this is how Rhoda represents what a genuine believer should look like and should act like. Number one, she recognized Peter's voice. How does that apply to us? Well, you know, Christians should recognize the Lord's voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. There are many voices in the world. But as Christians, we should be able to distinguish and discern when God's talking and when he's not talking. Uh, Rhoda was able to recognize Peter's voice. You and I should be able to recognize the Lord's voice. And it's real simple. Anytime you hear a voice that confirms what's already written in God's word, you know that's God talking. And anytime you hear a voice that's contrary to what God has already said in his word, guess what? That's not the Lord's voice. That's where you need to start whether or not you're hearing from God or not. The second thing it says about Rhoda is that she rejoiced. She rejoiced. She, she had a spirit of alacrity. She was filled with joy and she was filled with excitement when she heard Peter's voice. And when we hear God speak through worship, through prayer, through his word, by his spirit, through a friend, through a loved one, through a pastor, through a minister, our response should be the same as Rhoda's. She was thrilled. She rejoiced. She was excited. I believe joy is, is the one marker, is the one hallmark of all true Christians. That before I gave my life to Christ, I had no joy. But after I gave my life to Christ, joy has become a permanent part of my life. And I'm not talking about shallow, superficial emotionalism but a true sense of, of joy. And the Bible says that we should rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And even when we're going through difficult times, the book of Hebrews chapter 13 says, offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips, giving thanks. How many know that sometimes the greatest moments in our life to experience God's anointing and God's presence in our life is when everything's going wrong and yet we can open up our mouths and begin to declare the glory of God and the power of God and the blessing of God and the greatness of God in our life. She recognized the Lord's voice. She rejoiced. Number three, I love this, she ran. She ran. She was so thrilled. She darted back to the prayer meeting to say, guess who it is? It's Peter. She ran. I believe Christians spiritually should run. I believe that speaks of enthusiasm. I think we talked about that last weekend. Wasn't there a message we heard, something about sparking of enthusiasm, whatever? So I believe that true Christians 
are those who are thrilled to serve God. They're enthusiastic about serving God. They're enthusiastic about working in, in, in the kids' place, helping, helping children. They're enthusiastic about working with the youth in the youth ministry. They're enthusiastic with working with young adults in the college ministry. They're enthusiastic about going to a life group. They're enthusiastic about leading a life group. They're just enthusiastic about church. Oh, I long for the days when these doors are open on Sunday morning or Saturday night and Christians are running to get in here to get to their seat. Be sure and do it safely, amen. You know, many times at the end of a service... People are running to get out. The preacher's, the pastor's doing the altar call, and people are, we see you. And unless you have to go to work or you have to use the restroom, you should stay in your seat. So we don't judge. We just think when you're doing this, they have to be at work. So, okay. She ran. I think Christians should have enthusiasm. And then number four, she reported. She reported what she saw. She reported what she heard. She reported what she felt. That's what Christians do. We're in the reporting business. We're to report to our family members. We're to report to our coworkers, And we're to report to the world what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have felt concerning our encounter with Jesus Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? We love him today. So we need a church filled with Rhodas. Oh, thank you, Rhoda. What an example that you are to all of us and your enthusiasm and in your, your energy and your willingness to serve God. But listen, when you become like a Rhoda, you may receive the same treatment that Rhoda received. They thought she had lost her mind. You know, uh, as long as you're living like the world, thinking like the world, acting like the world, talking like the world, doing the things of the world, they think you're normal. But as soon as you get saved, start reading your Bible, start going to church, start honoring the, God, the Lord with your tithe, start serving, loving, caring for people, they'll think, I think you need to see some counselors. I, don't, I, don't, I think my family members, after I, you know, before I got saved, drinking, partying, carousing, staying out late, you know, uh, all kinds of bad stuff happened in my life. They thought it was like normal. As soon as I got saved, quit all that stuff, started going to church, started reading my Bible, started preaching Jesus to people. They thought, they sat me down and said, we're really concerned that you're involved in a cult. I know they meant well. I know they meant well. But I knew I hadn't gotten deceived and beguiled by some cult. I met Jesus on my road to Damascus, and he changed me. You know, Peter probably got better treatment in the prison than he did in the prayer meeting. I'm sorry for those of you that have had a bad experience at church. Uh, be patient with us. The Lord is still working on us, right? These people were full of superstition. They had more faith to believe that it was an angel rather than Peter. And these are the same people that believe when they die they're going to go to heaven? That there actually is a heaven? <laughs> you know? I mean, these people, they needed to grow in their relationship with the Lord. But thank God Peter didn't stop knocking. And he was patient. You see, there are some places that you need the door to open so you can get out. There are other places you need the door to open so you can get in. It was easier for Peter to get out of prison than it was for him to get into the prayer meeting. But he was patient. He was persistent. He kept knocking. And he kept waiting. You know, in life, that's an important lesson, isn't it? Persistency. To end up where God wants you to be and to experience the opportunities that God wants you to experience and to be able to walk through those doors, open doors of opportunity for your life, you're going to have to be persistent. I love the story that's been told about that old mule that, act that accidentally fell into an empty well. The owner of that mule, the farmer, he thought and thought and thought about 
how he can get that mule out of the well. And he knew there was going to be an incredible amount of work to do that. He was a good mule. He was an old mule. And he felt, you know what, it's time to retire this mule. So he called all of his farmer friends. He said, come on over and give me a hand and bring your shovel. My mule fell in an empty well, and we're just going to bury him. So all his friends came, and they had their shovels, and they began to dig dirt, and they began to throw it down that well. But it wasn't time for that old mule to give up yet. When that dirt began to be thrown down that well upon him, all he did is he would shake it off and then step up on that freshly thrown in dirt. And they'd throw more dirt, he would shake it off, and he would step up. And they'd throw more dirt, he would shake it off, and he would step up until he was able to walk on out of that well. When life begins to dump on you and people are dumping on you, you and I need to be as wise and persistent as that old mule. We need to learn how to shake it off and step up. Shake it off and step up. Sounds like a worship song coming on. Shake it off and step up. Don't let the problems and the challenges and the difficulties of life bury you. Learn to shake it off and step up. You know, to succeed in life, it's not that you're never going to fail. As they say, it's so true. Success is really one, one step beyond your last failure. It's, not, it's about not quitting. It's about not giving up. It's about not throwing in the towel. Sometimes doors you're supposed to enter are difficult, but you've got to be persistent. This past weekend, special weekend, we had family members that came to be a part of uh, the unveiling of this, uh, the newly renovated sanctuary. And so we had a full house. And so I got up Sunday morning, and uh, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Market Street. They open at 6, and I'm going to get some of their famous breakfast burritos so that everybody will have a breakfast burrito. So I got there a few minutes before 6, and uh, they weren't open yet. That's fine. All the lights were on. I could see the employees back there. But my watch said 6 a.m. There was one other guy that was out there waiting with me, and the doors were still locked. I even went to the main door, and they actually had a, a doorbell. I didn't know they had a doorbell, but had, I rang the doorbell. Nobody paid attention to me. Nobody answered I saw an employee try to get in, but the door wouldn't open. But then I saw this side door that she went in. I said, I'm going to follow her. So I walked in through that side door that I guess the employees walk in, and I made myself at home. It was already 6.01. I believe, I'm old-fashioned, if you say you're going to open at 6, you better be open. Those doors better be open at 6. Not 6.01, not 6.02, but 6. So I walked in. The employees were looking at me like, who's he? I said, I'm a customer. I was first in line to get my eight specially made breakfast burritos. And I was in and out in a jiffy. Why? Because if the door shut, find another way. Amen. Be persistent. Just don't get arrested. I believe that's what Jesus was talking about here in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, verse 9. He said, so I say to you, ask and keep on asking. And it, will, it shall be given to you. Seek. Keep on seeking and you shall find. I want you to read this last part of the verse out loud with me. Knock and keep on knocking and the door shall be open to you. I love the amplified uh, version of this because in the original Greek, it's not just ask, seek, and knock. It's ask and keep on asking. That's, that's the, the, the tense of, of the verb that's being used by Jesus here. And so what is he saying? Well, this is in ascending order. We start in life in prayer by asking. Some things you ask and you receive. Other things you have to seek the Lord. And then other things you have to knock and sometimes you have to ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, and keep on knocking. It's an ascending order. You knock until the door is open or until you realize that maybe I've been knocking on the wrong door. I think a lot of people miss out in life because of the lack of persistency. They need to be like that old mule, shake it off and step up, shake it off and step up. Do you know that 8% of all sales 
gets done by 80, 80% uh, or 8% of salespeople get 80% of the sales. 8% of salespeople get 80% of the results. You know, research suggests that only one in 50 deals is struck after the first meeting. Only one in 50 deals, the deal is signed in that first meeting. That's why you have to be in life persistent. You can't give up. I read a, a business book the other day, and in it it said that no is the beginning of negotiation. I like that. When you hear somebody tell you no, that's not the end. That's the beginning of all negotiation. And they said the science behind somebody saying no is this. When somebody says no right off the bat, it's their way of defending themselves and protecting themselves. It's a, def a self-defense mechanism. That's why a persistent person, when they hear no, they don't give up. Thank God my wife, when I said, if we're going to go out on our first date, she didn't say no. But if she would have, I would have persisted. <laughs> they probably would have called it stalking today, and I may have been arrested. But I believe she was the one. <laughs> Amen. Just because somebody says no, don't give up. The first time I asked Pastor Barry to join the executive, to be my executive pastor, he prayerfully thought about it and he said, no. But did I give up? No. <laughs> no. I kept calling. I kept pressuring him. I kept bribing him. And finally the Lord opened up that door of his heart. Amen. You have to be persistent. You know, Walt Disney was turned down for financing 302 times. But he didn't quit. He didn't give up the 303rd time he got his financing. You know, it's such a miracle, this auditorium, this sanctuary that we're in, and what the Lord has done over the last nine months. And it was a $3.9 million project, and <laughs> it's a little scary, can I be honest with you, right? You have to trust God, and you have to trust that he's telling you to do something. And the board prayed, and we sought the Lord, and we said, we believe now is the time, and let's do this, and let's share the vision before the congregation. And I'm so thankful that you responded, no gift too small, small, no gift too big. Some gifts came in, they were $5. Some gifts came in, they were in the thousands, the tens of thousands of dollars. But all of us doing our part, we were able to open up these doors this past weekend, and we were able to pay it all off except for $400,000. But last week, uh, above our tithes and offerings, $45,000 came in towards that $400,000, which leaves what, if you do the math really fast, $355,000. And how many know over the next several weeks, we don't have to borrow any money. We don't have to. We can simply say, hey, here's the need. Let's step up. Let's all do our part. Let's go a little extra. My wife and I, we're going to go. We're going to sacrifice a little more. And we're going we're gonna to increase what we gave initially. Because how many know that we can take care of it all? Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, and that door will be open. Somebody give the Lord a hand of praise in this place. So here's a lesson on persistent prayer. Number one, the reason we should be persistent in our prayers is we don't always receive an answer to prayer the first time that we ask. The context of this story, this verse in Acts 11, is that Jesus tells the story of a guy who his friend comes into town and he doesn't have any food for him. So he goes to another friend's house, it's midnight, and he's knocking on the door. And the friend says, yeah, what do you need? He said, hey, it's me. I've got a friend and I don't have any food. Will you give me some loaves of bread? He's like, man, we're already in bed. My kids are in bed. Come back at another time. But the Bible, the story Jesus says, because his friend had, listen, shameless persistence. Because his friend had shameless persistence. His friend begrudgingly said, okay. He got out of bed, got three loaves, and gave it to his friend. In life, you got to have sometimes shameless persistence. 
Why? We don't always receive an answer to prayer the first time. That's why Jesus said, ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. Number two, answered prayer takes time. Why does answered prayer take time? Well, a number of things. It could be your timing is off with God. and You have to wait on the, the right timing. It could be that you've not yet discovered the sovereign will of God for your, for your life in relationship to this specific prayer. May, may, there may not be a specific verse about what you're praying for, and so you don't know for certain. And sometimes you, through time, you realize you've been knocking on the wrong door, that God has a better opportunity for you, and you're like, oh, wow, thank you, God. And thirdly, sometimes it takes time for prayer to be answered because as in Daniel's case, in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Daniel, the day he began to pray, the answer was sent from heaven. But in verse 13 it says, the prince of Persia hindered and thwarted and Michael the archangel had to come and and do some spiritual battle in order for the answer to get through to Daniel. Sometimes we need to be persistent in prayer because it's a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. That's why you should never give up praying for your loved ones who are not saved yet. there, There are some things I've been praying to God about for my entire 37 years of walking with Jesus. But I pray in faith. I thank him in advance. And I know that sometimes some prayers take time because it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. But how many know that we don't stop praying and we don't give up and we don't throw in the towel? (laughs) Number three, in time we may discover that we've been knocking on the wrong door, that God has something better for you. Revelation 3 7 that tells us that God opens a door that no one can shut. I love this verse. And sometimes God shuts a door that no one can open. I'm so thankful that there are certain doors I thought I needed open, I wanted open. I thank God prevented in His sovereign will from those doors to be open. And I want to speak a word of love and encouragement and warning to those of you young people, you single people. Be careful certain doors that maybe the world wants to open for you that God is saying, keep that door shut. The Bible in the Song of Solomon talks about love, romance that there's a seal on love and that you're not to open up the seal of love until it's appropriate time. Because it's a beautiful door and God wants that door to remain shut and for that area of your life to remain holy and pure until the person he's destined for you to marry. Some doors need to be opened. Some doors need to be remain shut. And finally, number four, we, when we knock, we have to knock in faith. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, the latter part of that verse says, whatever's not of faith, it's one of my favorite verses, whatever's not of faith is, is sin. James said, when you ask, ask in faith, nothing wavering. For a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So when we ask, we ask in faith because we base our prayers upon the word of God. James 4 said, sometimes you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. Why? That you might gratify it upon your own lusts. Sometimes it takes time for prayers to be answered because we have to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to sift our own heart and to take out the wrong motives as to why maybe we're praying and asking God for this specific prayer need in our life. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, there are doors of opportunity that the Apostle Paul said they are a factual door of opportunity. It's real, it's great, it's worthwhile, but there's going to be opponents. There's going to be opposition. You see, maybe you're knocking at a door and you know it's the will of God and you're saying, Lord, I wish the time was now, but he's saying, just be persistent, just be persistent, just be persistent. Keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on asking, and the door will be open. Because many times the opportunities and the blessings that God has for our life, it doesn't come overnight. It's not just, you know, God's not a glorified vending machine. Are you with me? You know, he's not Amazon. Uh, You put your order in, a two-day guaranteed delivery. The life of faith isn't that way. We have to learn how to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understandings, but in all our ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct 
our steps. Knock. Keep on knocking. And how hard are you knocking? You know, this thought of closed doors and knocking, trying to get in, it's no coincidence. One of the last descriptions of Jesus in the Bible is in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 20, guess where we find Jesus? Outside the door of his own church, knocking, trying to get in. You know, if you haven't felt welcome in a church at some point in time in your life, don't feel bad. Even Jesus found himself outside of his own church trying to get in, knocking. But thank God that our Savior is persistent. You know, uh, that verse is applied to the lost sinner, that Jesus stands at the door of every sinner's heart and he's knocking. And he won't kick the door down, but he's so persistent, our Savior is so persistent, he'll knock until his knuckles are bloody, because that's how much he loves you. I hope you know that there are churches like Trinity throughout our community and around our nation, around the world. We make it as easy as possible to to cause people to feel as though they're welcome to come into our services, to hear the gospel, to hear the truth. We have many entry points into the sanctuary. And we want all takers and all comers to come. You may be here and you may be struggling in an adulterous affair. We don't want you to feel comfortable in that affair. But we want you to know that we love you, but more importantly, God loves you. And he has you here because he wants you to know he has something better for you. He wants you to confess your sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he has a better purpose for your life than that. We hope that people that are struggling with homosexuality or may be in a homosexual relationship, that you would feel welcome as you walk through those doors. We're all sinners struggling with sin. We're not going to make you feel comfortable in your sin. Because, you know, God comforts the afflicted, but he afflicts the comfortable. But we're going to let you know, that's not God's plan. That's not God's purpose. That's not God's way. God has something better for you. And if you'll come to the foot of the cross and humble yourself and confess your sins to Jesus, he'll forgive you. We hope those of you that may be struggling with alcohol or drugs, that you would feel welcome in this place and know that we're going to love you and we're going to preach the uncompromising truth of God's word. And we believe that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, that God can set you free and God can change your life from the inside out. Whatever your battle may be, whatever your struggle may be with, uh, may be over or about that you would be able to come here and know that hey God loves you that's undeniable and that's non-negotiable even if you reject the hand of grace of God he's still going to love you you don't want to consistently do that because the Bible gives clear warning of what will happen to the enemies of Christ we don't have to be his enemy he wants you and I to be his friend he wants you to, to become a part of his eternal kingdom and his eternal family. And it's an invitation that goes out to the entire world. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely from the waters of life. And all that come unto him, John 6, 37 says, he will in no wise cast out. He will in no wise send away. You're to this, I can't accept you. You're to that, I can't accept you. You're not the right this, I can't accept you. You're not the right that, I can't accept you. No, no, all that come unto him, he doesn't send anyone away. When we come with a humble heart, a broken spirit and a contrite, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and we say, God, I've made a mess of my life. I can't fix it. The world can't fix it. 
The doctors, God bless them, can't fix it. But I know you can fix my life. Because only you can come and change me from the inside out. Because Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And it says in verse 20 of Revelation 3, if you'll hear his voice and open up the door of your heart, just as Rhoda opened up the door of Mary's house, Peter came in. You can open up the door of your heart and Jesus can come in. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you that you're speaking to our hearts through this message today. I thank you for doors that have not opened. I declare that they will be open in Jesus' name. Doors that have been shut, they've been shut for a reason, and we trust your sovereign will. Help us, Lord, to know how to interpret this message in our own situation, in our own hearts and lives today. We humbly ask by the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to commit or rededicate your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. I want you to say it with your own mouth, and I want you to mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity, in Jesus' name. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer to commit or rededicate your life to Christ, I want to know who I just had a privilege of praying for. I want you to lift up your hand all over the auditorium, just lift it up, all over. Hands are going up all over. Thank you, Lord. Up in the balcony, hands are going up. God, thank you for these individuals. Thank you for the new work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Thank you that you're sealing the deal, sealing it in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, can we give the Lord a hand to praise everyone?